Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's once again seek the face of God uh, in prayer. Uh, Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, every word, every syllable, every sentence, every thought that you give us in the pages of Holy Scripture. We thank you especially this morning for this most amazing glimpse into what will be ours, not for a short season only, but forever and ever, world without end, in your presence. Lord, we need the help of your Holy Spirit because we are weak and we are sometimes doubting. And Lord, would you, by your Spirit, assure us of the truth of everything that you say and give us hearts that are turned to you now this hour in joyful anticipation of that day when we shall finally be with you and see you face to face. Bless us for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. If you were to make your way into the basement of our house, you would find a lot of bins there uh, that are filled with uh, various toys. You'd find uh, in our basement a bin full of uh, old Nerf guns, find in another part uh, a large pink uh, princess tent. Uh, You'd find uh, uh, in another part of the basement uh, a foosball table. You'd find somewhere else an adult toy, uh, a couple old sets of golf clubs. And uh, each one of these things, and you'd find somewhere else stacks of board games, uh, many of which haven't been played in years. So you go from one of these things to another. I could tell you, I could give you uh, the times when each of these things were given as a gift uh, to somebody in our family. And they brought a certain happiness for a period of time. They were played with, they were enjoyed. They were wonderful gifts. But it didn't last. The happiness didn't quite last. The child or the adult outgrew that particular a gift moved on to something else, uh, something else that is bringing some level of happiness for uh, a time. I think what you would find by that little tour through the Hill family basement is speaks of of something that is true uh, with a number of the desires that you and I experience in life. Uh, You and I have desires not only for fun and for happiness, uh, but desires for peace, We have desires for love, 
both to give love and to be loved. Uh, we have desire for purpose and meaning in life. But I think if you were to try to fulfill any of these desires with something that is merely earthly, you would find that that desire goes, in an ultimate sense, unfulfilled. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, had something to say about this. And I want to quote Lewis at this point. Uh, he says this. He says that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, uh, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Dear friends, uh, the Word of God makes it very plain that that better country for which you and I were made is indeed a place that exists. And for all of those that are redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a place to which we are going. And that is exactly what the passage of Scripture that I have read for you uh, today points us to. Uh, you will have noticed perhaps as we read these five verses together that there are in these verses glorious echoes of the Garden of Eden. That when the Lord first created mankind, he placed them in a garden. Paradise was theirs. But the storyline of scripture makes it very clear that that paradise was lost because of human sin. And the Bible tells us that by the sovereign grace of Almighty God, He is bringing us once again to that paradise, a paradise restored, but a place that is even better than the Garden of Eden was. Uh, the Garden of Eden, you might remember, was a place into which Satan himself was able uh, to enter and to tempt mankind. It was a place in which mankind was able to fall. But if you are and I are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are going to soon be in a place where Satan is going to forever be cast, cast out. In fact, he will have been put into a lake of fire. We will be in a country in which you and I shall never have reason to depart. We shall never leave. There shall be no sin which shall ever enter into that place. And there we will be forever, not only walking with the Lord in His presence but in the presence of the Redeemer, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we are co-heirs. 
what a glorious promise is ours of this better country, this paradise restored, uh, in which all of the deepest desires that we have as men and women will ultimately both be fulfilled in the Lord. So that's what I want us uh, to consider today out of this passage. Um, we're going to have three different points. I'll give you those points up front as we consider this paradise that is regained. Uh, three different points. First of all, we're going to consider the potentate of paradise. And then a second P. Secondly, the provision of paradise. And then yes, under the third point, an additional P, the privileges of paradise. And so let's look at each of these things, turning our eyes uh, to this final paradise, which will be ours, the potentate, the provision, and then thirdly, the privileges of a paradise. Well, first of all, uh, the first thing that I want us to consider from this passage is we consider this new heavens and new earth, this eternal state in which we will dwell, is the potentate of paradise. I did choose that particular word because it does begin with a P. It's a nice alliteration. But it is exactly what I want to speak of here. The word potentate in the dictionary is one who wields great power or sway. Or uh, the kid's dictionary describes it in this way. A potentate is a person who has controlling power. Well, in God's new creation, who is the potentate in this place? Well, we read it in our Bibles that in the very middle of this city is the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's verse 1. And in fact, we read of it again in verse 3. That the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this place. So, who is the potentate? of this new creation, well, it is none other than uh, God himself. Now, you and I know already, don't we, that even in this present world in which we live, even here, God is sovereign and God is king. God's will always comes to pass. And we know that even now, Jesus Christ is the glorified and ascended Savior. So God is the potentate now, but he rules now in the midst of his enemies. And his rule is a truth which we cling to by faith. But dear friends, the promise of these verses is that there is soon coming a day when our faith is going to be sight. When God's enemies are going to be vanquished and when God's sovereign throne is going to, as it were, dominate that new creation. He's going to have a rule that is unchallenged. And it is this rule, it is this king that brings forth the beauty and all of the blessings of this new world. They all flow from him. He's at the very center of it all. And it's not only, you'll notice, our good God who is at the center. Specifically there, it speaks of, of the Lamb. 
how frequently actually does the book of Revelation describe the Lord Jesus in that beautiful language as the Lamb. And it brings to our mind, does it not, the fact that He was sacrificed for us. And so the idea is, is that it is none other than my Jesus. The one who gave Himself for my sins on that accursed cross. The one who loved me. It is that Jesus who is going to forever rule in this glorious new city. His is the throne of glory. We're going to sing a hymn in just a little bit in just a little while that will say that the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Well, dear friends, if God and especially the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, will dominate our vision in glory. If He will be at the very center of that new heavens and new earth, should it not be that this glorious King, our God and the Lamb, should that not dominate our vision now as well? Do you realize that's what we do when we come together for worship on the Lord's Day? This is the greatest foretaste that we have of what will be our eternal occupation. And if this is the greatest foretaste of what we're going to have in heaven, does it not mean that our worship should be utterly consumed with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and of our triune God? Isn't that what worship is? It is worthship. It is ascribing worth, honor, glory to this one to whom it is due. Worship is not, first of all, about meeting my own felt needs or lifting me up or inspiring me to live a better life or something like that, but rather it is always, first and foremost, about glorifying and magnifying the one who sits on the throne. At the very center of paradise, dear friends, is this throne of God and of the Lamb. He is the potentate of paradise. Now secondly, let's consider together the provision of paradise. The provision of paradise. Uh, the imagery here is beautiful, and I trust you understand that Revelation is a book that's full of symbols. Uh, this isn't necessarily a literal, physical description, but it's a symbolic description uh, that conveys uh, ideas And the imagery here in these verses is that in the middle of this great city, the New Jerusalem, the fully redeemed church of God, is uh, really the best green space imaginable. Uh, the city is a park. And so there's lots of people, but, but it's a park. And in the middle of this park, there is this beautiful sparkling river and on either side of the river, there are trees that are yielding abundant fruit. And each one of these images here are images that are, that are steeped in the rest of Scripture uh, that speak to us, really, of glorious gospel uh, realities. So the first thing that we're told there is of this river. It's called the river of the water of life. We run into this idea of a river many other places. Genesis 2.10, that in Eden itself, 
there was a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Or in Ezekiel 47, that uh, glorious uh, vision of that end-time temple, the themes of which are so often repeated in the book of Revelation, in Ezekiel's vision there was a river that issued from below the threshold of the temple. Or in Psalm 46, Luther's psalm, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The Lord Jesus himself picks up on this imagery. John 7 and verse 38, in speaking about the ministry of the Spirit in the lives of believers, says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Or you think of John Chapter 4 and verse 10, Jesus speaking to that woman at the well, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so all of this imagery stands behind what's described for us here in Revelation 22, this beautiful river that is flowing through the city. And dear friends, it's a river that symbolizes life, eternal life, and salvation, full and free. A salvation that comes sovereignly from God. It issues forth from the throne. And its blessings consist in fellowship with God. And so it is the gift of God's sovereign grace. It's merited by the redeeming work of the land. But it flows without measure. It flows abundantly to his people. It's a river that's not going to dry up in any way. So the idea, friends, is that that sweet fellowship that you and I enjoy with God now, and if you are a Christian, do you not know something of, of genuine fellowship and communion with God? And yet, isn't there something in you that says, but I want more of it. My sin so often distracts me and gets in the way. My mind turns this way and that. I, I have a measure of fellowship with him, but oh, how I long for more. And the promise is that in this paradise of God, there will be life and fellowship without measure. Again, the hymn that we're going to soon sing says, the streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. But not only is there a river of the water of life, that flows, we're also told of a tree of life. You see that in, uh, where is it there in verse 2? That on either side of the river, there is the tree of life. Again, here's a clear uh, reference to what was found in the Garden of Eden. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, there was not only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by which Adam and Eve were tested in their faith, but there was a tree of life in the midst of that garden. And as one theologian, Gerhardus Voss, makes clear, it was a tree that almost served a kind of sacramental uh, purpose. It was a kind of sign and seal in the midst of the garden of their communion with God. But what is described as a single tree in the Garden of Eden now uh, is no longer a single tree, but rather it's lining either side of the river. It's a whole row of trees. It's a park of the tree of life. It's, it's everywhere you look, there's the tree of life. And it's a tree that is bearing, we're described here, 12 kinds 
of fruit. There's a harvest every month from these trees. You know, one of the things I enjoy about living in New England is apple season. Okay, we didn't have that down south. But up here, you get to go and you get to pick apples. And then uh, you get to make wonderful things. Apple pie is one of my favorites. But the real problem with apple season is that it only lasts two or three weeks out of every fall. And you have to wait a whole year for it to come again. But the idea here, dear friends, is that there is going to be in the new heaven and new earth a kind of continual supply of fruit which represents the superabundance of life and grace and joy. Life in full all of the time for all of the citizens of this city. But then another part of the provision of the city, we read of this in verse 2 as well, is that the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. One of the things that the book of Revelation makes clear is that in this eternal city, there are going to be people from every nation, every kindred, every tongue. It's going to be a beautiful, glorious diversity of redeemed people in that place. And here we are told that these nations of the earth, which in this life, dear friends, are so often marked by bloodshed and warfare, which contain in them various problems, problems of abuse and injustice and hurt, varieties of hurt that come as a consequence of sin that often leave us as we walk through this life often battered and beaten, and torn. Nonetheless, the promise is in that place, it's all going to be healed. Earlier in Revelation 21, uh, we read, uh, this is at the end of or Revelation 21.4, that the Lord in this place is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. And there shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. These former things have passed away. And indeed, here in Revelation 22, we read that there is going to be a healing, a place of complete and superabundant blessing. Of, of We're going to know none of the sorrows that we know uh, in this present uh, life. What a glorious promise this is. And then, almost as a kind of summary statement of the privileges that we experience, in verse 3 it says that no longer will there be anything accursed. Nothing. Not one thing which involves the curse that was brought in this world because of sin. You know, in this life we often live, do we not, in fear of the next bad thing that might happen. If you're a student, it might be the next bad grade. If you're a parent, you might live in fear of a rebellious child. You might be afraid of a friend who turns on you. Or maybe a spouse who might leave you. Or you live in fear of a dreadful diagnosis from the doctor. Or you live in fear of a world war or of a global pandemic. I ask you simply, do you feel anxiety, some level of anxiety about the next bad thing that may 
happen? Well, dear friends, what's the answer to an anxiety like that? Well, it is, first of all, to remember, dear friends, that the Lord Jesus himself has told us not to be anxious like this. That the Lord is in control, even in this world, that God is working out his his saving purposes, and that if you belong to him, dear friends, he has you in the palm of his hand, and nothing will ever snatch you from the palm of his hand. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's true of you right now. We need not be anxious. But there's another part to the answer, and the other part is even better news than that. It is that he is, that the Lord, in his sovereign mercy, is going to be bringing you and me into a world where there is not going to be any more curse at all. A world where none of the things that mark this cursed world will ever, ever occur again. A perfect land with nothing to make you afraid. Nothing that can hurt you. Nothing to be in dread of. A land of righteousness and beauty and delight. A land of the Lord's complete provision. And dear friends, this world will be ours. Because it is the free gift of God to us in Jesus Christ. The one who became a curse for us. So that you and I might go into that place where there will no more be any accursed thing. What a, what, a, uh, what a wonderful provision, the provision of paradise. Well, let's move on thirdly now. Thirdly, to the privileges of paradise. So we've seen who it is that reigns, the potentate of paradise. We've seen secondly... Uh, the provision, and what a provision it is, a provision represented by this water of the river of life and of the tree of life bearing abundant fruit and of leaves which are for the very healing of the nations, symbolic realities which speak of God's perfect and complete full provision for you and for me for all eternity. And this moves us now to this third and final point. What are the privileges that are going to be given to us in this place? And there are really four different privileges that are pointed out in these verses. Look at these four things. And the first of those four things is this. It is that his servants, verse 3, his servants will worship him. What will be our privilege in this place? It is that you and I as servants of God will worship worship him endlessly, perfectly, forever and ever. I wonder if you've ever engaged in an activity, um, maybe it was a particular sport that you tried or a hobby or uh, uh, some other kind of activity and, and you, you kind of have a knack for it and there's something in your mind that kind of says, you know, I think I was kind of made for this. The way the Lord put me together, I was made for this. Well, dear friends, above any hobby or sport that you feel like you might have been made for, I can tell you what you were made for. Why did the Lord knit you together in the way that he did? Why did he give you the mind and the will and the heart that he did? He made you for his worship. 
And that's where you and I find our highest fulfillment, our highest, our, our highest purpose in life is in the very worship of God. And dear friends, there in this eternal land of pure delight, you and I are going to be there and are going to worship God. We will worship Him finally as, as we ought, without distraction, uh, without a uh, 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 misunderstanding. We'll have proper conceptions of, of who He is. We will love our fellow worshipers finally as, as we ought. Friends, it is going to be uh, the best worship service that you've ever been a part of on earth multiplied times a million or trillion or the biggest number that you can think of. That's what it's going to be and it's going to be endless and it's going to be a time of joy and of happiness finding yourself in the midst of the worship of the one who has made you. You are going to bring him glorious worship lost in wonder, love, and praise. We will serve this God and not only worshiping Him with the assembly, I, I think that we're going to be engaged in activities, various good activities in this new heavens and new earth. But we're going to do all of it for His service, glorifying Him forever in everything that we do. His servants will worship Him. Well, what's the second privilege that you and I will receive? The second privilege is this. It's found in verse 4. There it says that they will, these servants, you and I, will see his face. Wow. We will see his face. Reference was made to it in Sunday school. The time that Moses uh, wanted to see God's glory. He was hidden in that cleft of the, of the rock as God's back parts passed by. That was all he was able to behold at that time. Or you think, dear friends, of those priests in the Old Testament, the high priest, once a year, and that was it, was he allowed to go into that near presence of God, that inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, remember? And even that was only after all sorts of sacrifices were accomplished beforehand. Well, dear friends, what was what Moses was unable to see, what the priests caught something of a glimpse of just once a year, but the ordinary Israelite was not allowed to behold. You and I, dear friends, by the blood of Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice are going to behold. Some measure we are going to behold Him. We are going to see His face. Now you understand, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like us. What does that mean? To behold the, the face of God. Well, I, I don't know entirely. <laughs> Other than I, 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 what it means is that we're going to have such a closeness and nearness of communion of, of, of what is what the old theologians would call the, the beatific vision, the idea of, of beholding the Lord and of being so near to him that we are, as it were, by beholding him transformed uh, into his likeness. Dear friends, 1 John 3, 2 says, well, even now we are children of God, but it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him for, what? We shall see him as he is. What a promise that is. 
You know, I bet I, if I had to guess, I would imagine that probably most of you in this room have never met the President of the United States or met a king or queen. Maybe there's somebody here who has, I don't know. Just yesterday, actually, I flew into Hartford and the traffic was rerouted in all sorts of places and it was because President Biden was actually down in West Hartford speaking. In other words, they wouldn't let you get within miles of the guy. <laughs> You know, unless you had proper credentials, proper ticket. We don't get to meet the president. We don't get to meet royalty. But dear friends, in glory, we are going to be in the near presence of the one who has made everything and who has made us and made us for himself. We're going to have fellowship with him. He's not going to be far off. It's not like we're going to barely be able to see him or, 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 or you know, be, be miles and miles from him. No, the idea is that we get to behold his face. Know him with that kind of nearness. We will see his face. What's the third privilege? The third privilege is this. It is that his name will be on our foreheads. His name will be on our foreheads. Let me just back up for a second because I failed to mention it there. It says when we shall see his face. Verse 5 goes on to say that night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. Why is it? Why won't we need those things? Because again, the near presence of the Lord will be so great that the Lord himself will be our light. But now this third privilege. The third privilege is that his name will be on our foreheads. Uh, earlier in the book of Revelation, it spoke of a mark of the beast, which some people had, and that's simply uh, a, 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 a way of describing those whose loyalty is to Satan and to the Antichrist, that is, those who are still under the dominion of sin and of darkness. They are marked out, their ownership belongs to the evil one mark of the beast. Well, earlier in the book of Revelation, it similarly spoke of those who were God's people who were sealed, chapter 7 and verse 3. And that sealing of the saints refers to the security and of the identity of God's people. But here in Revelation 22, we are told that as it were, that sealing, that mark of ownership will be so complete that you and I will have his very name, that is, that description of who he is, engraved on our very foreheads. We're going to be, as it were, branded with the name of our God. We will so belong to him. And the idea is, is that you and I will be so secure in his presence that if we're secure now, and we are, how much more so will we be in that new heavens and new earth? We will belong to him, never to be forgotten by him, sealed, as it were, on our very foreheads. It's, a, it, it's the assurance that we won't be lost in the crowd. It's not that the Lord is going to forget that we belong to him or that we're there. We have that mark of his ownership. And we also have in that, in that, uh, that name on our, on, his, on our foreheads, it shows the mark of his character as well. That if his name is upon us, it means that we increasingly will be transformed into his likeness. That we will be, that we will bear the image of the glorified Christ. We are 
increasingly put sin to death in this world, right? But then in glory, in glory, we shall be sinless there forever, bearing his image forever and ever, the image of the glorified uh, Christ. And what a promise that is for those of us that continue to struggle with sin. And is it not all of us who continue in this earthly pilgrimage to struggle with various sins? The promise that we shall bear his mark on our foreheads and we shall be changed forever into the likeness of his glorious image forever and ever. And so we've seen three privileges so far, and don't they kind of keep getting better and better? <laughs> We're going to worship him. We're going to see his face. We're going to have his name on our foreheads. We're going to so belong to him. And now the fourth privilege is this. It is that we will reign with him forever and ever. The Lord reigns, yes, but verse 5, it says, and they, that is, these servants, will reign forever and ever. Was that not God's original calling to us when he made us in the Garden of Eden? He gave us dominion over this world, made us vice regents, instructed us to rule for him and for his glory. And is that not in one sense, what we are called to do in our various callings, in the workplace, and in our families, in the church, we are to uh, exercise a kind of uh, dominion, a kind of rule, but under Him, for His glory, doing everything for, for Him in, in His service. But Here the promise is that in this new creation, we will once again take our place at the very head of this creation, ruling over everything for His glory. In the letters to the seven churches that began the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, the letter to the church in Laodicea, he says there that the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So that's our, that's our assurance that we will get to conquer and as it were, sit on, sit on the throne with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, what this means exactly, I don't know. But I do remember my Lord Jesus when he said in that parable of the talents that the one who is even faithful in a little right now, the Lord will give much. What a promise this is that you and I, Though poor sinners, saved by sovereign grace, are going to be given much, much to do for his glory in that final city. Those are the privileges of God's people. So we're going to end with a little bit of application. We've seen the potentate of paradise. The, um, uh, 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 secondly, the provision of paradise. Third, uh, the privileges of paradise, but let's just finally make a, a little bit of application. First of all, just three points I want to make, and the first is just a very brief word to any here who are not believers in Jesus Christ. The things which we have said today are true not of all people, but they are true of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that you and I are saved, and only through faith in him.
And there is an absolutely glorious future that awaits those who trust in the Lord Jesus. And can I call upon you? Maybe you are a a covenant child. You've, You've grown up in the church under the sound of the gospel. That's wonderful. But you need to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you are a little bit older. Maybe you've you've beginning to consider the claims of Christianity. But you're not yet a Christian. Can I exhort you? Can I encourage you this day? Come to the feet of Jesus. He's a glorious Savior. He says that the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. And he means by that he will not cast us out in this life. And he will not cast us out on that final day either. But we will enter into what we have described right here. Will you come to believe in the Lord Jesus? But the second point of application I want to make is to the one who is a believer. And it is this, it is to say this, that dear believer, with such a future ahead of you, do not be afraid of dying. Do not be afraid of dying. Our lives in this world are short, are they not? I'm... 44 years old, and they have gone by like, the years have gone by like this. I mean, it feels like just yesterday that I was like many of you children sitting in this pew. And there are some of you here who are a good bit older than me, and you say, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. In fact, it gets even faster the older that you get, doesn't it? This life is short. It goes perfectly with what we were looking at in Sunday school, right? Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Friends, this life is short, but can I tell you on the authority of God's word, this isn't me giving you wishful thinking, a kind of pie in the sky that we all hope might be true someday, but rather this is me speaking on the authority of Jesus Christ himself, the risen Lord Jesus, who gave this book of Revelation through the angels, to the Apostle John, for John to write down for your and my comfort and edification today. It's on his authority that I say to you, dear friends, that every word which we have spoken today is absolute truth. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, at the moment that you die, you will go into his presence. Today you will be with me in paradise, he said to the thief on the cross. And the promise is that at the time of Jesus' return, and he is coming back, that at that moment there is going to be a resurrection. And we then, with resurrected body and sinless soul, are going to experience what Revelation 22 has described forever and ever. It is God's sure word for your comfort. And can I tell you, dear friend, this is something that we ought to remember Every single day. This is where we're going. And when life does seem short, and we are anxious about the next diagnosis from the doctor, when we get concerned because our life just seems to be slipping away, and it's going so fast, and we are going to be approached death's door soon. Or when we remember, dear friends, that any one of us today could drive our car away from this parking lot and get into a car accident, and this life is going to be over. When we consider these things, dear friends, can we not remember that for the believer, for the believer, the future that awaits us is glorious beyond compare. 
Won't you think of that? Won't you meditate on that truth? Won't you keep it in the forefront of your minds? Do not be anxious or fearful of dying, dear believer in Jesus Christ. But now thirdly and finally, in terms of application, I want to say this. Not only, as I just said, dear believer, with such a future, do not fear dying, but now thirdly, I want to say, dear believer, with such a future, you can now truly live. Dear believer, with such a future, you can now truly live. And you might say, well, what do you mean by this point of application? What I mean is this, is that if it was the case that you and I were a mere blip on the great, on the great screen of, of, of the eternity of this universe, or, or if you and I were a meaningless nothing, then, dear friends, what you were to be spending your next hours, your next days, your next months, your next years, in fact, what you are spending this life on is absolutely meaningless. Why are you doing it? Why are you doing the job that you do? Why are you trying to love others and care for others? Why are you doing all of this if you are nothing more than a, a random collection of cells that is going to be here for a short period of time in this little corner of this vast, unbelievably vast universe, and you're going to be here, and then you're going to be gone, and that's all that there is, and you're going to go out of existence, and there is no, nothing else than that. Why live? Why do anything in this world? But friends, the Bible makes it clear that that's not what we are. But rather, we are God's beautiful creation, made in His image for His glory, and when we sinned against him, he redeemed us unto fellowship with himself so that you and I can know the God who rules and reigns over this universe and know him not now, but know him forever and ever in this glorious, glorious new creation. So friends, when there is a future like that that is ahead of us, it gives us the courage to live now. It means that everything matters right now. That what we do today matters because this future awaits us. That how we treat others matters because we are doing it for the glory of the God who has redeemed us. And many of the people whom we serve are those with whom we are going to be spending in eternity. The things that we do matter. Again, establish the work of our hands. As we saw this morning out of Psalm 90. Right? Uh, or the end of uh, what, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that glorious chapter about the resurrection, and then he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, if the resurrection is true, if our future resurrection into glory is true, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If this is a future that awaits us, dear friends. In the Lord, none of your labor now is in vain at all. With such a future, truly live unto him the life that matters as redeemed creatures of God. Might the Lord help us, even in this coming week, to have continually before our minds this glorious paradise of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the promises laid up for us in Revelation 22. And Lord, we feel that these are some of these things which eye has not seen nor ear heard nor entered the heart of man. 
indeed, Lord, these are things that are too glorious for us, things beyond our comprehension, but we thank you, Lord, that it is these very things, these very things of the future that awaits us that you have been pleased to reveal to us by your Holy Spirit. And we do pray, O Lord our God, that you would prevent the evil one from snatching away the seed of your word as it has been sown today. Oh, how much the evil one would like to immediately fill our minds with all the passing things of this world, the trifles of this world, or how the evil one would like to plant doubt in our minds. And Lord, we pray that instead that by your Spirit, you would give us the grace to believe everything that has been spoken today, to meditate upon it, and to bring forth the fruit of it in our lives for your glory, how we give you thanks. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.